On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast on National Working Mums Day, Jen Watson, a working mom, former CHML reporter, now a voice performer, she joins us to talk about all kinds of stuff. The list is long. Hope you'll stick around and listen. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Time for the brightest conversation in Hamilton Radio and on National Working Mums Day. It is, in fact, National Working Mums Day. Who better than to bring in long time, in the past, CHML reporter, now voice over artist, and working mum, Jen Watson, to join me this evening. Jen, how are you? Thanks for having me. Hey, well, you know, it is National Working Mums Day, so who else? Yeah, we didn't even know. So, But I feel that there's a national day for a lot of things, so... Sometimes it's hard to uh, keep track of it all, you know? <laughs> well, it's also National Baked Scallops Day, so you can choose which one you really want to celebrate today. <laughs> I'll, take, I'll take the mom's day. <laughs> you know, it's a very sad day as well, though. Oh. Jennifer Lopez and Alex Rodriguez announced that they have broken up today. Oh, can you dear. believe that, they, that those two, with their almost non-existent history of dating in the past that didn't make it? I mean, I'm shocked. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, Shocked. What, what, and couple, what, what a celebrity couple actually survives anymore? Well, so true enough, but I, you know, I, I'm, I'm being a little facetious. I, I, they actually went a lot longer than I kind of thought that they, and as you say, a lot of the other celebrity couples <laughs> would have, but uh, good for them. Uh, good luck yeah. to them. Uh, let me ask you this. This weekend is daylight saving time is this we've heard people we've had a guest on the show before maybe more than one talking about daylight saving and how this is really not a good thing are you a fan of the weekend because here's the thing in the spring it's fantastic you get an extra week or extra hour of sleep here we lose the hour of sleep but by monday next time i'm on the radio talking to people it's going to be during daylight hours still Are are you a fan of the whole daylight saving thing or get rid of it and just have it all the way same thing through the year I mean, it is nice that when, you know, you're you're coming out of work and it's still daylight. I mean, even my kids notice it like, why is it so light at supper time? You know, it's getting lighter and lighter and lighter, right? They're used to, it's, you know, four o'clock, five o'clock and it's, you know, pitch dark out. So I don't know, it kind of like gives you a bit of, oh, you know, I mean, spring is coming, the warmer weather. So I don't know. I mean, I think I'm a little, you know, kind of indifferent to it. To be honest, <laughs> I, I don't know why we torture. And I know there's a reason, but it, to get that extra bit of, you know, sunlight in the evening and that good feeling, we have to torture ourselves in the winter though, by saying, okay, let's make it dark now at three o'clock. I mean, I, like oh, I've, yeah. it, it's, it, it seems like we're, we're giving ourselves a giant kick in the butt back then, just so we can have this great feeling come spring of seeing the daylight again. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I like, uh, it was definitely depressing, you know, coming out of the radio station and like, it is completely dark. But then when it is, you know, it's still daylight, it's kind of a tease. You're like, oh, I'm still here. And it's like, you know, because I'd worked till about seven o'clock, six or seven. So I'm like, oh, it's still daylight. I, I want to get out there and enjoy it before it's over. So that way it's kind of a tease too. <laughs> it, I, I didn't realize until 
the last couple years, how many people there are. I mean, we're talking experts who are arguing that this thing should be done away with. And, and quite honestly, you know, I've listened to a number, as I say, we've had them on the show and there are health reasons and there are other reasons. I'm, I'm essentially agnostic to the whole thing. Like it really, it doesn't really, it doesn't seem to me anyway, maybe it does, maybe it affects me more than I know, but it doesn't seem to me to be anything more than, you know, gaining an hour of sleep, losing an hour of sleep on I go. But apparently there are real issues with this for a lot of people, which I've only learned about recently. Yeah, I've heard that over the years as well, that, you know, the losing that hour of sleep can really, you know, affect some people and, um, and even like the, what is it? Seasonal affective disorder, SAD is actually what that, you know, that kind of thing can really affect people when it's, you know, so dark for so long and not a lot of sunlight and all that stuff. Um, especially in the winter time and the cold months. So, um, I mean, yeah, I've definitely heard those, those, um, arguments against it. Um, and I mean, yeah, uh, it doesn't affect me. Well, you know, like I said, maybe it's like you, it, it, maybe it does affect me more than I know. I think it does in the wintertime when you're, you know, it's kind of gray and gloomy and you're kind of stuck in when it's super, super cold. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure that it has, you know, big effects on others for sure. It's something to do with the circadian rhythms, which I always thought this, I always thought circadias were those little bugs that make noises in the summer when it's really hot, but that's not what we're talking about. But no, apparently it's got something to do with circadian rhythms and your whole clock gets thrown off. And, and, you know, there's all kinds of stories about why, daylight savings came in in the first place. And, you know, there are some that are deemed official versions that are, it was for the farmers or it was for to save electricity costs or it was whatever the reason it it was done. Mm -hmm. But apparently, yes, apparently there are health issues with this that I, again, it doesn't seem that it affects me, but that doesn't mean it doesn't affect anyone else. And so, you know, maybe, maybe it is time to get rid of it. I don't know. I don't know. But it, it's, but on Monday for that one moment when at five o'clock it's still sunny out, it almost seems like it would be worth it just for that one moment of going, ah, oh, this is good. Yeah. yeah. I anyway, mean, in, yeah. Enjoy it this weekend or don't. I guess you won't enjoy it this weekend because you'll lose your sleep, <laughs> but enjoy it on Sunday night when the first time you see the sunlight and it's not dark when you're eating dinner and it almost feels like we're ready to go back outside and start eating outside again and be back in the world assuming covid goes away but we're not going to talk much about covid today you're listening to the scott radley show podcast on 900 chml i said we're only going to do a little bit of covid today let's do that now and it's this It, it, it we have seen now two very different responses by politicians in different places to the COVID vaccine, because we know there are people who believe the COVID vaccine is going to save us. We know there are people who believe the COVID vaccine is going to poison us. And we then have seen some politicians say, look, I'll step up to the front of the line to get jabbed with this thing first to show that I'm not going to keel over and die. And we've had other politicians who say, I'm not going to go to the front of the, sh- the line because it's not fair. I don't want to look like I'm taking advantage of my position. I'll wait till everyone else is done. Which one in your mind is the right response? Should the politicians be setting the example and showing it safe? Or should they be like the captain on a ship that's sinking, although it's not really sinking necessarily, but should they be waiting for all of everyone else to get it and then say, all right, I'll do it after. 
That's funny that you bring that up because I was I was listening to um, a radio program earlier in the day talking about vaccines and I was thinking about the exact this exact same thing and I even thought of that captain of a ship analogy as well and you know the captain of a ship you know he lets make sure everybody gets on the lifeboat first rather than him being the first one right and then see you later good luck to the rest of you but I do understand the the point that some people want to see you know government official, I guess for those people who are afraid of it or think that it's poison or whatever, that's why, you know, they're going to use that to say, well, see, if you're not going to take it, then why should I? And I think, um, but, but yeah, I mean, if, if a government official were to go ahead, you know, say the premier or the, the prime minister go ahead and jump the line, so to speak, I think there would be a lot more fallout. Um, and that would look a lot worse than, than the other. So um, how much does politics come into play with this? And, you know, this is going to be something that not with COVID necessarily, but something that may come up again in the show, the idea of decisions that are made that don't really have to do with logic or with common sense or with anything else, but politics. I mean, we saw in the States, uh, Joe Biden, I think it was before he was sworn in or right after he was sworn in as president getting his needle done very publicly right at the front of the line before most mm-hmm. other people got it. He was getting his shot and I didn't hear a ton of criticism for that, but I believe that if Donald Trump had gone and done the exact same thing, there would have been a ton of criticism. It, we haven't seen Justin Trudeau get his, but I believe that if Justin Trudeau up here had gone to the front of the line to get his, there would have been all kinds of people all over him. Same with Doug Ford, mostly their political opponents. But it, I, right. I'm not sure. I mean, it seems like it's all about politics rather than about the virus or the vaccine itself. Oh, I absolutely believe that it's mostly about politics and optics and how it looks. And a lot of the decisions that have been made recently for the last little bit are mostly based on politics and, and how it looks. Um, and, you know, as far as the Joe Biden getting his vaccine, I mean, isn't he part of like, you know, he's in his close 80, he's in his like mid 70s, right? Late. Yeah. Late, late 70s. 70s. So he, he would be among the population that, you know, you would, that, that are, they're trying to vaccinate first. I mean, I don't know if that's the way that um, the U.S. is doing their rollout, but, you know, it makes sense. He's also the leader of the country. So, you know, there can be an argument made for that too. Well, you know what? He, we want to make sure that our leaders can, um, perform their duties we want to protect them so that you know like was it um uh the the uk uh prime uh premier boris Pri- boris, johnson, who, boris johnson boris johnson who got it he got it yeah and i mean and he recovered which was great but i remember hearing about when he got it and i was a little bit and this was back in the beginning and i was a little like nervous thinking like what's gonna happen if like this leader dies how is that and it was serious pardon me and his was very serious. I mean, he, he, yeah. when you say what would have happened, I mean, he, they don't say it exactly, but it, his was an extremely serious case. And so you're right. He was an ICU, I believe, yeah, right? You're right. For a bit. You're right. And, and, you know, and so if one of those, you know, major world leaders gets it and dies, what is that going to do to the political stage then? And, you know, all of the politicking that would happen, you know, so, so there can be that, that would be, I think, a valid argument. But I think, um, you know, well, even like, you know, Trudeau's wife had it, but he, you know, managed to not have it, but he stayed, you know, 
secluded so that he could still run the country as, you know, as best he can from your cottage. But um, I think a lot of it is, is politics. And I don't know, I think that the states too, they, I think they view it differently as well. I think they're, you know, where their, their patriotism and nationalism kind of come forefront and, you know, well, of course we want to have our, you know, our leader get it, you know, get the, have the vaccine, but well, even here, if, though, if Jen, I mean, Trump, I don't know, <laughs> but he had it. Don't forget be. Trump. Don't forget Trump had Trump COVID had as well. Well, and here's the thing up here is that we do give not necessarily the vaccinations. Our leaders seem to be waiting, but we give our leaders security. I mean, we have a security detail on them. So we've, we've already decided we want our political leaders to be safe. So yeah. why would you then not say that should extend to a vaccine that would keep them safe? I'm not arguing for or against it because everyone's got their opinion on this. But it seems yeah. if you're going to say we're going to pay all this millions of dollars for security for these people, why do you not then extend that and say, and this is part of security? Absolutely. I, I would I would think like that would be, you know, a valid argument. Absolutely. For that. But again, it's all about op. It's all about how it looks to people and, you know, um, well, you know, if you've got my, you know, ailing grandmother or, you know, whoever and, you know, they haven't gotten it yet, but yet, you know, you're going to go ahead and because I think a lot of people, especially, you know, in Ontario, it seems that, well, maybe not here, but in a lot of places, it seems more of like a do as I say, not as I do kind yeah. of thing. It's, so it's, like, it's a well, landmine. It's a political, rules. it's a political landmine. Unquestionably, if you're a politician, you may have people say, good, we are glad you got it and proved that it's safe. Or you may have people say, what are you doing? I'm going to vote you out, you know, and you don't yeah. know. And here's the problem. You don't know until you get it, which way people are going to respond. You're listening to the Scott Radley show podcast on 900 CHML. One thing that we did not spend, I don't think one second talking about on the show this week, mostly because it was handled so well everywhere else and i didn't think we needed to dive into it all that much was that royal interview last weekend with oprah and (laughs) harry and megan first of all was this something that was of high interest to you low interest to you no interest to you how would you describe it i you know i am like i am interested but not because like i'm a crazy royal watcher or anything i just I think I like the history aspect of it. And it's funny because I, I just started watching The Crown on um, Netflix. Excellent. Excellent. So, and yeah, and I mean, I know that it's been around for a bit, but I tend to do that. I get into something like well after it's kind of come out. But um, so I'm only a few episodes in and, um, you know, the king has died and the queen, you know, Queen Elizabeth has just been, you know, sort of taken over and um, the whole thing with Churchill. And so, but it, it was just interesting, like the... Um, just the history of it and that kind of thing. And I, I even got up in the middle of the, well, early in the morning to watch when um, William and Kate got married and, you know, just out of, well, wanted to see the dress and, you know, just, yeah. I mean, so I am interested, but not like crazy interested, but I didn't watch the interview with Harry and Meghan, but I started look, reading about it today because I've seen a couple funny memes and I'm like, okay, I wanted to kind of, I was looking to see if I could watch it, but I don't, I don't think it's anywhere yet that I can see it, but. Well, I'm sure it'll end up online if it hasn't already somewhere, but he, here's, the, so of all the things, and I don't want to get into the, who said what and all the rest of the stuff, because quite frankly, it, it, you know, I, I didn't have a whole lot of interest in it, but, but I understand a lot of other people did. And there was one thing, well, there was a lot of things, but one thing I want to ask you about in particular, 
And in the interview, and everybody knows this part because this was one of the real headlines of this, um, Megan and I think Harry both talked about that issue where someone in the royal family made comments about the color of their child's skin, what it would be like and how dark the child would be. And through yeah. this real heavy, I mean, it's become the issue over in UK. If you read the stories, this, this is the Royal family racist argument. This is the thing. This is the headline or one of the main headlines. My question is this, if you are going to, and you're in a position like that, or even if you're not in a position like that, you're just talking to someone. If you are going to make an allegation of racism are you obligated, morally obligated, to say who the person is as opposed to throwing a blanket over everybody and casting suspicion on everybody in that family? I look at it and say, you, if you're going to mention that one, and I don't know if it's true or not, but if you're going to say that it is and you're going to throw that out there, you are, it is completely unfair to cast dispersions on everybody in that family then. You have to say who the person is. I would, I would definitely agree. I mean, if, yeah, that, and that's, it's a serious accusation and, you know, it's, it's almost like, you know, I make the joke about, you know, how people like they on Facebook or whatever on social media and they'll like, oh, you know, they'll make some vague statement. But then when people say, well, what's what is it? What is it? Oh, nothing. Oh, nothing. And it's like, no, you can't do that. And especially when it's something as serious as, you know, saying that somebody is questioning, you know, the race of, of, of your, you know, your unborn baby or sorry, the, the color of, of his skin and how dark it's going to be. I mean, yeah, I think you should definitely be prepared. You're going to be asked that question. If you're going to bring it up, you should be prepared to say who it is. Otherwise, why, why bring it up at all? Well, especially, and look, that it, to me, it would be unfair to anybody. Jen, if you, mm-hmm. if you were at a family gathering and said, I was having a chat with someone in our family and they made a racist comment to me that even at that level, that's horribly unfair because you've now made everybody suspicious of everybody. And that's unfair yeah. to everybody who didn't do this. But you're talking about the royal family whose areas, whose, whose the places in the world that they govern or oversee, many and of them colonized. Many of them are areas that are heavily African American or black or or different shades of skin color. Yep. It is it is seems to me so up wildly unfair and and i'm not a giant monarchist i don't have pictures of the queen hanging up but i am someone who likes to believe that i'm reasonably fair and this seemed to me to be horribly unfair to everybody in that family yeah i mean uh, you know and then there's of course history about you know how they were to diana and everything else and you know but you know do the is there is there that history within the family yeah i mean they colonized you know, like you said, African countries. And um, so is there, is there some sort of history there? Right. And, and if, and if you're going to expose them, you're, you know, like, what is the point? What are you getting out of it? If you're, well, you're you know, getting and, attention. And they, right. And that's what a lot of people are saying. You know what? I think they just want attention or she does. And I saw, actually, I wish I should, I could, I could, I could text it to you, but I saw this hilarious meme and it was basically like a split picture of like, Yoko Ono and it was like I split up the Beatles and then but next to it was Meghan Markle and it's like you just watch or something like that and it was it made me chuckle right because that's what a lot of people are thinking you're just there to cause you know for your moment in you know to get attention to cause trouble and I'm not saying that's what she's doing but that that's how it's gonna look that's how it does look 
Well, and and again, people, if you go online and look at the papers and stuff from over in the UK, it's outrage now that you have dropped this bomb in the middle without identifying who the bomb is directed at. And, you know, it's... It, it, oh, but they made sure to try and clarify or to, you know, Harry made sure to say that it wasn't his grandmother or grandfather. So then, okay. well, who is it? Is it your dad? Is it, you know, is it Charles and Camilla? It, it, but again, the fact that you're going to make this allegation and then you're not going to say, and then say, and we're never going to say it is just, yeah. you know, so if you're not going to do it, if you're not going to be willing to stand up and say who it is, you shouldn't have said it in my opinion. And that's not to dismiss, that's not to say you should not raise issues of racism. No, if you've got legitimate issues of racism, that should Call be, exactly. But you can't throw a blanket on innocent people if there are innocent people in this and then blame them as well. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. A story that we haven't heard a whole lot of up here, but it is a huge story in the States right now, is what's going on with New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, who was you know, positioned as one of the heroes of the COVID situation. Well, those wheels have fallen off that truck pretty fast. It turns out that numbers about how many people died in nursing homes were fudged, and now there is a parade of women coming forward accusing him of sexual misconduct. And here's the question for you. Um, We had, when the Supreme Court nominee, when Kavanaugh was being, tried to be put in, uh, people saying, you know, he did horrible things and is not eligible, should not be eligible to be a Supreme Court justice. Um, When other people have come forward, you have other people speaking very loudly against them. Now that it's someone in their own party, and it happens both ways, it happens both ways, suddenly... There's a lot of, not everyone, there are some speaking out very strongly, but a lot of people who had been very vocal with other ones, very quiet. And a lot of people are saying, look, you can't turn sexual harassment, sexual misconduct claims into a partisan issue, or you make sexual assault nothing more than a political prop. But is that not kind of what happens all the time? That if you are a fan or a supporter of the person, if it's a politician, of their politics, you're willing to overlook what they've done. And if you're not, then it's the worst thing ever. Yeah, I mean, there, there's going to be, you know, everyone's going to take a side um, in that sort of thing. I mean, now, has have, now are they are they allegations? I mean, I, I don't actually know a whole lot about about this uh, particular story. Um, yeah, it's, it's so it's, it's, as I think, I, I can't remember the number now, but it's a, a long list now of women who have worked, I guess, around him or in the governor's office wow. or wherever who have made allegations. And, you know, when, when allegations were made against Trump, a lot of Republicans said, come on, not a big deal. We're willing to overlook this. When allegations were made against Bill Clinton, uh, at which we, you know, we know what happened with that. A lot of Democrats said, oh, we're willing to overlook this. Meanwhile, the other side all points and says, that's a horrible thing. Worst thing ever. Of that course. person's not fit to serve. It seems like we're entirely undercutting. And I wanted to ask you about this as a woman. We seem to be entirely undercutting the whole idea of sexual misconduct as a horrible thing. If it's only a bad thing when it's someone with whom you disagree politically or philosophically. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, there's real victims here and, you know, you're going to they're, they're going to try to discredit the, the, the victims because, you know, they're accusing one side or the other side. And, yeah, it just it makes it it diminishes it and it um, it 
it makes it, you lose sight of what the actual issue is. Like anybody who does that needs to be, need, needs to get lost, you know, needs to be taken out, needs to be uh, removed from their position of power, regardless of what side you're on. But of course, everything, you know, even if it's, you know, a celebrity, right, there's going to be people that, oh, I know they would never do that. And no, you're lying and you want something. But, you know, when you see that, when the numbers start to get bigger and bigger and bigger, I mean, yeah, like, why, why does it have to become a partisan thing? Because it, it takes, it takes away from it. There's actual real victims here. And but it does, it, it, it does become, become a partisan thing. It has, we've yeah. seen it over and over and over that it is, that it becomes a, I, I hate this word, but I don't know that it's a wrong word. It becomes almost a prop to use against the person with, whose politics or party or philosophy you disagree with, but something right, you're willing to overlook so. if it's someone you agree with or like. Yeah. And is it, oh, maybe it's not that bad or maybe, oh, it was just locker room talk or whatever, you know, like some of the, you know, remarks that Trump made. And yeah. And, and it, it's only when it suits your agenda exactly. or your narrative that you want to put out there about the other person, you're going to use it or you're just going to shuffle, shuffle it under the rug. Now, the, the flip side of this, and maybe it's not a flip side, but, the, you know, you don't want to have it. I, I think there was a I think there was a risk that we were heading down a path where, um, you know, the Me Too thing, uh, there was a lot of good that came out of that. The one risk was the the idea that if someone makes an accusation, we we convict before we do any kind of looking into something. That That is a right. dangerous place to be, too. So I'm not arguing that the minute someone says you've done something that we immediately have to remove that person from office, but I think you have to at least, at the very least, look into these things seriously then regardless of regardless of what party you or he or she are a member of well yeah there should be an investigation and uh, you know for you know if you want to talk about politics and optics you know if it's a member of you know my party if i was in charge i'd be like okay well we're going to call our own investigation you know so we can or and you know but then you know people might say well you know you can't investigate your own because then there's going to be bias there. But either way, you can call for one, whoever you want to bring in to investigate the allegations. But, you know, I want to make sure that whoever is in my party is on the up and up, right? But whether that really matters to some of these, you know, politicians, I don't, I don't, I don't know. And it doesn't seem like it. One of the other things, we got to go here. One of the other things that really becomes uh, interesting, and I'll use that word in air quotes, is um, if you are a politician who is going to, and we've seen this numerous times as well, be very vocal, be very vocal when it's someone else in another party caught in a situation where they're being accused of something, uh, you'd better, I guess, be ready to follow your own advice if it comes back and it's directed at you. But again, it seems like this becomes one of those do as I say, not as I do scenarios, or it's a different situation for me. Or when it's me, you have to believe me and we have to investigate when it's someone else, they're not fit. And, and you know, it's, it's all become it to me, it's all belittled the whole thing of the sexual misconduct allegations, which shouldn't be belittled as a prop. Right. Because you lose sight of that. And that's not that, you know, something else becomes the story as opposed to, you know, what, what's really the case and what's really the issue. And it does, it does belittle it and it diminishes it and the whole meaning of it, you know, and what it does to the victims is, you know, they've already been through enough, but and again, like, like you've said though, you know, you do also want to make sure that 
um, there's merit to the allegations as well. Sure. You know, uh, yeah, and, you want and, fairness. And that's where an investigation comes from. Exactly. exactly. You want fairness. Do. You want fairness, but you don't want it to become just a a useful device. That's not what this is supposed to be about. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Day after day, I, I torture myself by going on social media, which I know I shouldn't do, and I try to not, and, and there's going to come a day when I'm going to pull the plug and just make myself less crazy. But one of the things, the recurring theme that I seem to see over and over and over is an ongoing, everybody's offended by everything seemingly position. I mean, it's just, there's not a day that goes by that you're not getting people screaming at each other on social media or accusing people, whatever else of, you know, do you have a right? Do you think that in 2021, I mean, the world is changing. Do you have a right or an expectation, a fair expectation that you should be able to not be offended? I mean, but how is anybody ever going to know what offends somebody and what doesn't? I mean, I guess there are certain, you know, norms that people expect people to, um, you know, they have societal, you know, do's and don'ts, things that that is accepted and things that aren't. But yeah, it does, it does kind of um, just go out the window sometimes. And they're like, well, you know what? I don't know what's going to offend you. I don't know what's going to make you happy. So I, I don't know. You could say you have the right to not be offended, man. Like just... You don't like it? Move on. Scroll on. Like, but I nobody actually, does that. People, not nobody, well, but people don't do that. People don't just scroll people, on. No, they don't. And you know what? And it's funny that you talk about social media because I actually um, have deactivated my Facebook account. I'm still, I still have my Messenger app because I've got you know a couple uh, group chats with friends and family and stuff like that that are ongoing. But um, I, you know, and I would tell myself, you know what, I, I'm not going to post this, you know, article, or I'm not going to voice my opinion on something. And then, you know, I'll be good for a bit. And then I post it. And then it's like a, a day and a half of like, constant back and forth, 100 comments going back and forth. And it's a waste of time. It's a waste of energy. It's so unproductive. And I'm like, I'm not doing this anymore. And so I just deactivated it. And it's been so peaceful. I go, I go on Instagram and, and that's it. And, and I get my, you know, my news little snippets on Twitter and, and that's it. And, you know, life is a lot happier now <laughs> for me. Well, it's exhausting. It, it is exhausting. It is. I mean, it, it really is. But there is this, there seems to be anyway, and I'm not even going to put it to a generational thing. I mean, it just seems like, because it's not just one generation that's on social media. There just seems to be this sense that you are entitled to not ever be offended. And anyone who offends yeah. you must be removed, must be shut down, must be stopped from commenting. And look, I, we're not talking about all things. There are things that are truly offensive. There are things that yeah. are truly offensive and, and no one is suggesting otherwise. And that are socially unacceptable. Sure. We know those things, yes. Sure. But there are other things that seem such small potatoes and yet they just blow up and all of a sudden now it's... You know, wait, I, I was making a little subtle quip or I was just making a cut, like I didn't mean to offend it. And yet it's hugely offensive. And I, I, you're right. I, I would love it if people would say, you know what, I, probably they didn't mean to offend me, 
Probably there was no intent there. Let's leave it alone. But people don't leave it alone or just move on. If someone says something, it seems that you have, not you, but the greater you, find somehow offensive. I must fight back and accuse this person of this or that or the other and then see that they're removed. It's awful. It's exhausting is what it is, as I said. It is absolutely exhausting, you know, and, and it's almost like, you know, you can't even have a different opinion. People say, oh, you know, you want to hear all, all opinions? No, they don't. They only want to hear what they agree with or along the same lines. And, you know, it, it, not everyone's going to agree. People have their different beliefs and viewpoints and opinions. And you know what? And if that offends you, well, but I have a right to, to believe what I believe and feel what I feel. You know, and if I'm not hurting anybody, if I'm not, you know, then then people people believe and think what they're going to think. And fighting with somebody on Facebook or on any social or Twitter, or any social media isn't going to change their mind and your mind isn't going to be changed. So it really is, you know, just it, it's nonsense. There's no point to it. You know, and I try to teach my daughter who's in grade one, you know, she's starting to learn now, like. You know, because they teach you in kindergarten and daycare, you know, oh, we have a new friend today, friends, and they refer to everybody as friends. Okay, and that's wonderful. And that's, you know, I say you should always give any everybody a chance. But, you know, you start to see certain sides of people, and I'll say, you know what, not everybody is going to be friends with everybody. And I have to, I'm teaching her that now. I say you give somebody a chance, absolutely, and you, you know, you don't judge them and all those things, but not everyone's going to get along, not everyone's going to agree and you're going to have to learn to deal with that because, you know what, isn't that what diversity is? Isn't that what makes us different is our, our worldviews and our opinions, you know, but yeah, no, no we, and we, different than theirs. we got to go take a, a news break here. But one of the things also that I find so discouraging now is that there are issues that are very controversial, that are very challenging social issues. And if, it seems with many of these now, we're not even permitted to have a serious, respectful discussion. I'm not talking oh. about social media screaming. If there's an issue that is a that is some people may have challenges with or whatever, to say, I want to have a legitimate, deep, reasonable, not name-calling, not insulting discussion. Let's have a talk. If even to raise the questions in some people's minds, that's offensive, you've offended, you're this, you're that. It, we've it, it's we're we're approaching if we're not there already we're approaching a dangerous place where we're shutting down the ability to have conversations yeah. out of a out of a broad fear or broad brush of offense you're listening to the Scott Radley show podcast on 900 CHML as I said off the top it is national working mums day so who better to bring in to join me with the brightest conversation in Hamilton Radio than Jen Watson, longtime former CHML reporter, now a voice actor, voice overworker. I don't even know how you <laughs> fully describe that. Voice person, a voice. Yeah. Well, that work. Voice over, a voice artist. I don't feel like an artist, but maybe I am. <laughs> an artiste, a voice, voice artiste. Actor. <laughs> voice actor, voice entertainer. Yes, any of those things. Uh, and and most relevant today, a working mother. So there you go. National, happy National Working Mums Day. You you, you earn it. You earn it. I hope, I hope Jay has a cake and dinner and everything all set for <laughs> you. And if he didn't know about it, I hope he rushed out during the first hour to get one. 
Well, he's got he's wrangling the kids upstairs and probably going to be putting them to bed. So that's that's enough for me. <laughs> I'm hanging out down in the basement by myself. So <laughs> I, that's more than enough. I got a, I I read this very interesting story um, that I'm not sure how I feel about this, but I think I understand. It's a scientific study using artificial intelligence, and they have been able, the scientists who did this, have been able to somehow tap into people's brains. And now this is so far out of my intellect level. I mean, so far beyond me. I'm, I, I can barely make toast most of the time. So doing this kind of <laughs> stuff. I But they have somehow been able to tap into brain waves and parts of your brains to figure out, based on your brain activity, what kind of things and people are attractive to you and create images that would fit with that kind of thing that you personally would find attractive. Oh, and Jen, I, let's heard, leave I a, feel like I heard something about that today, yeah. Well, let's leave aside the part about the whole study of this, because again, it's just, it's so far beyond me, I can't even begin to understand how you would possibly do that, but... Yeah. Do you believe, do you believe that different people's brains see different things differently attractive? Or do you believe there is an attractive that is universal, a beauty that is universal that everybody recognizes the same? Well, I think, I think it's subjective. I think everybody kind of sees, yeah, sees their own version of, of beauty, um, I mean, I don't know, I, but sometimes, because I know for an example, you know, there was, I, I used to watch The Bachelorette, so I'm going to talk about like superficial beauty right now, right? And I used to watch The Bachelorette, so did Jay, and the one Bachelorette, I thought she was just, just gorgeous. I'm like, holy cow, like there, there can't be a prettier girl. And Jay was like, I don't really find her that attractive. I'm like, okay, but you're not just saying that because like I'm in, he doesn't, he would say like, oh yeah, she's good looking. He would like admit it. She's like, no, like, I just think she's average. And I'm, like, thinking she's just, like, phenomenal. And even his sister was like, no, oh, there's nothing special about her. What? And I'm like, how can you guys not? Th-? I was even offended. <laughs> how, can, how can she? I was offended. Do you want to talk about pe- being offended? Because I'm like, well, you know, if she's not beautiful, then what is beautiful, you know? But so in that sense, I mean, I think that people, people, yeah, have their own individual idea of, of what beautiful is. Because, you know, we, we go to whether that, now that's a person, I mean, you can have other things. We go to an art gallery and there is, there are paintings, there are sculptures, there's a suggestion that this is universal beauty, that these paintings or whatever are what we as people see as beautiful. And half the time, look, half the time, I'm not sure when you go to an art gallery, if it's just me, who's not necessarily seeing the same as everyone else because some things are truly wondrous and other things I go really that abstract painting does nothing for me I see no beauty in that but there is a belief or at least a suggestion that if we're putting this in an art gallery there's some general populace wide view that this is an object of beauty but I don't know if it's a general populist view. I think it's for, you know, art people who have that sort of mind, that art mind, you know, that who can create those things and who can appreciate it, you know, because sometimes I look at, you know, when you're talking about art and I'm like, I feel like I could draw that or I feel like my kid could draw that, you know, <laughs> and and not, not to diminish that person's ability, but, you know, sometimes it has that childlike sort of, um, you know, look to it. 
you know, or then, yeah, the abstract stuff, you know, it can be really cool with the colors and stuff, but, you know, wouldn't necessarily speak to me to be like, I have to have that and hang that in my house. I think there's a general, you know, if you have that art sort of mind and you're kind of trained, I think you can be trained in, in things like that, maybe. Well, you look, I mean, we, people who are wine connoisseurs who, you know, look, when I get a $10 bottle of wine, I can think it's, and I've done this test, it's way better tasting to me than an expensive bottle of wine. And, you know, and yet if you're a real wine connoisseur, you would probably turn up your nose at the $9, $10 bottle because there's not the complexities and all these other, but those people have, I think, learned, they've taught themselves, they've, they've studied it. It's a, so you're right. I think there is a learned behavior, but I don't know, is there a learned behavior with looking at another human being, as you say, a beautiful woman, a handsome man, is there a, is that a learned thing or is that just something that is, you think they're beautiful or not? Can you learn to see someone as beautiful? Well, I think, I I guess if you're talking about physical characteristics, I mean. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think people are just, you know, it's an individual taste. I think, I think people, you know, have, yeah, just have their own individual taste about what they find attractive, about what they find, you know, what they like, what they don't like in, in physical features of people, you know, um, just what you, you know, tend to be more drawn to. I think that's sort of just a unique thing to each person. And, and part of the reason I wonder this is when I say, can you learn even to see different people as beautiful more than just your immediate reaction? If you had not necessarily been exposed and, and this now the world is a small place. So, you know, with internet and everything else, I mean, we've, we've all seen, I think probably people from every race and nationality and part of the world. I mean, I'd be surprised mm-hmm. if there were, if we hadn't, but back in the day, if you had not been exposed to certain people groups, you might not have on first glance seen those people as naturally beautiful, but people would go to other countries and then fall in love with someone and marry them. And presumably they thought they were beautiful. I wonder if being, if that exposure, if being around, if, if having it more exposure to something can change what our belief of beauty is. I think so. Yeah. I mean, because you, I think, yeah, you can be in that sense, you know, if you're not exposed to something, you're sort of conditioned to what, your surroundings are and who you see all the time. Right. And so you wouldn't necessarily consider something you'd never seen before, you know, and, you know, and then you talk, you hear stories about, or about, you know, maybe arranged marriages, right. Where from, you know, just things that I've, I've read or whatever, you know, sometimes is it, or maybe it's just from TV, right. When they have these characters who have arranged marriages and they don't know them, and I don't know if that's actually the way it works, but, you know, and then you learn to love them as the years go on. And so maybe you don't necessarily find them physically beautiful, but, you know, the, their personality and how they care for you or, you know, care for the family, like those kinds of things, maybe. And, and not just in arranged marriages, but in, in other circumstances with people that you meet, you know, maybe it's, you're not. But their personality, yeah. yeah, their personality you know, begins to affect how you see them. Yeah, their person, yeah. you start to, you, and that I think, now one other thing, and this this I find really interesting, and I've heard this before, and I don't know if this is true, maybe the scientists who did this study would be able to tell better. There has been a suggestion that we find, we're talking about people now, when that we find people beautiful 
who somewhat resemble us as far as our facial features. I don't know oh, if there's really? something to that, that, that we, we, you know, that we all see someone a little bit different who we see as beautiful, but somehow the people who have some resemblance to us, cause we're all fascinated by our own face. Let's admit it. I mean, there's no sense dodging <laughs> the ego thing. Um, you know, we, we all look in the mirror a little longer than we probably need to, uh, whatever reason we find ourselves really interesting. And maybe there, maybe there's something to that. I've heard that before that if someone has some, not a twin, but if yeah. someone has some facial features or something that kind of reminds us of ourself that we see beauty in that, I don't know that that's a weird one because that but you well, dive into that one too deeply and you're into some weird Freudian stuff <laughs> going on there. <laughs> well, what I was going to say, maybe, you know, kind of along those lines is, you know, sometimes you hear that, you know, women are attracted to uh, people like men who remind them of their fathers, you know, so maybe in that sense, where, you know, and if you, familiarity and like, so maybe it's not necessarily that, you know, and if, and if the, the daughter looks like their the father, then maybe perhaps they can kind of see, maybe they're not um, consciously seeing that in the person, but maybe subconsciously that could be part of it. So it's a really interesting study. I, I, it's one of those ones that I, I mean, I have at times, and we've probably all done this, had one of those like incredibly deep dives into our brain that we can't quite understand where I've actually thought, I wonder if, when I look at, for example, an apple and I see it as yeah. this shape, is that the same thing that other people see when they see it? Or somehow are we all wired? So they all, we talk about the apple and we all have what we know in our head is, but do they even know what, do they even see round as the same thing? You know, like it's really, maybe it's really weird, but. Um, no, I've had, I've, I've had those thoughts too, but, and you know, and the same with colors, right. And that's, I mean, I think that can be explained a little bit you know, as far as, you know, there are some people who are colorblind and and everything else, but some people, you know, is the dress, you know, red or green or whatever that whole internet thing was, pink or gold or whatever, right? And I mean, that's completely different, but some people might see a darker shade of blue versus a lighter shade of blue. But yeah, you wonder, do they see the same, is they looking at it through the same lens? Do they see it exactly how I see it, you know? It is a, uh, yeah, it's a really weird thing. Does it, does everyone see the same red that I see, mm-hmm. or does ever, or might someone else see green, but think it's, you know, uh, we won't, let's not tie up people's brains too much with this one. It's a, uh, it, it, it is a weird one that though. Often. Jay and I, we have a couch up in our, our living room and I say it's gray and he thinks it's green. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, we, a few more minutes left. And I wanted to ask one more thing. Uh, again, I find this, um, a fascinating description of this. There's a number of stories that have moved in the last couple of days. Uh, now that COVID seems to be relenting a bit down in the States, they're loosening some of the shackles on what you can do or not do. Uh, they're way ahead of us as far as vaccines. So people are now talking about, you know, the cruise industry is coming back in Disneyland. Disney World was always open or almost always open, but Disneyland is reopening again now. And you know, there's, there's options to do things. Ballparks are going to be open. A lot of them for opening day and on and on and on. There's people, there's a talk now that people are so squirrely and so eager to get out and get traveling again. There's going to be a big surge in traveling. I believe that, but what they're describing it as is revenge travel. Now I'm not quite (laughs) sure who you're, who you're avenging or who the vengeance is against. Well, I think it's against COVID. You're showing your revenge against yeah, COVID true. that you're not going to hold me down. But would you ever do revenge travel? I'm going to go somewhere <laughs> just to stick it to COVID. 
No, I mean, it would be nice to, you know, go back to Florida because this year, this would be a year that we would go, but no, I mean, yeah, we're not going to do any revenge traveling, but um, yeah, that's, that's pretty funny, but I, I could definitely see it. I think there's a lot of people who are bitter, you know, that they haven't been able to go and what they normally would do. And, um, but yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go based on revenge. No. <laughs> there are places now. So one of the stories that I'm reading here. Now they're talking about in Dallas because Texas is one of the places that has opened up the quickest and the most hotel occupancy rates in Dallas. They're almost sold out of everything. People just are wanting, they're having so many people travel there and just do stuff that they're seeing this enormous surge in interest in traveling. And that I believe not necessarily Dallas, but I can see the travel industry that has been hammered by this, especially up here. I mean, we, we have some friends who are travel agents and it's just pounded them. 2020 has been a really tough year. 2021 maybe as well. I bet you they're, if they're still in business, which is a big question mark, I bet you that they're going to do very nicely in 2022. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Though I'm sure it'll rebound in no time, you know, but I mean, hopefully people can still afford to travel. You know, there will be right. those people who, who, who can, but, you know, I think a, a lot of people have been hit in the, in the pocketbook. So, you know, hopefully people will be able to still do that. But yeah, I mean, I, I would bet and hope for those people who, you know, the travel agents and all that and the airline staff who have been put out of work, um, that they do see a rebound. Would you be fearful to travel? Well, I mean, let, uh, let's, let's uh, make an assumption here. Once you've had your vaccine, would you be fearful to travel or would you no. say, no, I'm, I'm ready to go. Let's go. I would be fine. Do you I think mean, most people to be would? Honest, yeah, I think so. And, you know, if, if, if we were allowed, it, it's hard, right? Cause like, would I travel now if we were still, if we were allowed to travel? Uh, I mean, we are, let's, let's, let's go back. We are allowed to travel, but I mean, I'm not, we're not going to, because we know the, the hurdles and, you know, we're not supposed to anyway. And, and we're not going to, but um, whether I had a vaccine or not, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think I would be scared to travel. They said, you know what, it's safe to travel, you can travel. I'd say, okay. But, yeah, if, I, if you know, whenever I get, if we, whenever we get our vaccines, I don't know when that's going to happen, but I definitely, okay, let's go to Florida. We haven't been in a couple of years or wherever, you know, our vacation destination would be. I'll be fascinated because, uh, I mean, you're, you, you're a young woman, you've got a young family. So probably, and I, I, it's not just you, uh, but I think a lot of people of your age, of my age, even of people younger, probably maybe didn't think of COVID as the thing that was going to kill them. If they, even if they got it, probably mm-hmm. many people thought I might get a little bit sick. I mean, that may have been naive. That may have been misplaced, but I think that's a widely held view but I'll be really interested to see if people who are in their seventies, in their eighties, once they get their vaccine and once the doors open, if they are willing to travel again, that's see, that's the group that, you know, has been most at risk here. Are they going to go on a cruise? Are they going to go to somewhere where they believe that maybe they could still have problems? I I don't know that that's a whole different kettle of fish. Yeah. That would, that would definitely be very interesting to see, you know, but maybe they have that, you know, an old school mentality. We're like, well, it's fine. We're fine. We're going to go. I mean, you know, some people they're set in their ways and you know, you're not going to stop me from doing what I want to do. Right. So. 
Uh, you know, I, although same thing, I, I think there's a bunch of people in those age groups who probably would have gone all along, you know, for all the ones who were death, oh, yeah. deathly afraid, if you had yep. said you could still go down to Florida, they would have been gone, phew, gone in a second. Well, but you know, and there still are people that have gone down like th- that I know of, and you know, they're not in their, you know, not in their seventies and eighties, but you know, maybe I actually don't know how old he is, maybe fifties, sixties still went down to, they have a house in Florida and still went down like to, for their, there are snowbirds, right. For their four months or whatever it is. And a lot of people still did do go, go ahead and do that. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, I think that those people now remember they're, they're obviously, well, almost all retired, but we've seen those snowbirds going. I, I think that there will be, I would even be surprised if they're going to have a problem with this. I think you're going to see an absolute migration of older people looking to go again because that's this is this is what they love to do many not all i mean let's not yep. be too uh spreading the same brush over everybody but i mean this is for many of them, this is what they love to do and i even heard someone say a little while ago you know what look i don't want to die but if i'm going to from something at least i want to go out doing what i love to do rather than just sitting at home yeah. And you know, I, I can see that. I can, that, that, yeah. I don't think that's a ridiculous position. No, no, I agree. And yeah, I mean, there's so many other ways that, you know, people can look at it and think about it. And um, I mean, people want to be able to sort of decide for themselves, right. You know, I want to be able to assess my own risk and my own, my own comfort level with certain risk. And I mean, I understand why there's restrictions. Of course, I, you know, I totally get that. But um, at the end of the day, like where, where, when are we going to be allowed to, you know, put on our big boy pants and Mm. (laughs) our big girl pants and, you know, decide for ourselves what risk we're willing to take. That is one of the biggest things. And you just, we're going to wrap up, but that's one of the biggest things that has, I think really struck people through this last year or so. And that is that we like to believe that we are fully in control of our own choices and our own destiny. And you can't tell me what I'm going to do. And all of a sudden for a year, we've had everybody saying, I'm going to tell you what you're going to do. And it's been a, it's been an unusual experience for a lot of people who are not used to being told what you can and can't do. And believe me, I don't love it either. I mean, I, I'm in that group who goes, wait a second, why are you telling me? But that's 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 where we are. Yep. And, and so when the day enough. comes, yeah. So when the day comes and you say, "All right, you're allowed to go," well, look, we've See already got later. a trip booked. Yeah, we've already got a trip booked. We're <laughs> now whether we yes. go or not is another thing. All it's not till next January. So it's but you know what? If look, if we're not going by next January, oh man, yeah. Then Canada has there really screwed be. this thing up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Uh, we may, the prime minister and I may be having a chat if we're still not able to go in January, yeah, uh, there, there will be an angry be phone call made. Yes. Angry <laughs> phone calls will be made. Uh, Jen Watson. <laughs> it is, as I said a couple times, national working mums day. So I appreciate you taking a few minutes. Now I think that maybe, as you said, this was a break from the working mum thing. So we'll, you know, that's good if we helped, but appreciate you coming on today. Thanks for doing all this. Really love having you on. Yeah, no problem. I had a great time. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. 
The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.